Welcome to the radio broadcast of Pineview Baptist Church, a growing community of faith in the Belfast community of Goldsboro. We are located at 3357 U.S. Highway 117 North in Goldsboro. We invite you to find out more about our congregation by visiting us at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. Join us now for our weekly message. There are five books in our New Testament that have traditionally been attributed to the Apostle John. Uh, he was known as the son or a son of Zebedee. He, wrote, he gave us the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and also Revelation. And the early church fathers claimed that these books were all written by John. Now, not every single one of them does he... Uh, a tribute to himself. He doesn't necessarily begin with greetings the way that the Apostle Paul would. He doesn't sign his name to each and every one of these letters, but it is inferred from church history that the early church fathers and those who even knew and were con contemporaries of the Apostle John, they affirmed that these were written by the Apostle. And many of them have common themes. You're going to see a lot of commonality between this letter and the Gospel of John. Many of the things that he shared there, there's a lot of crossover. He's going to talk about, uh, he's going to have a, a strong emphasis on love. He's going to have a, a strong emphasis on remaining in Christ. Uh, he'll talk a lot about light, and we see that in the Gospel of John and also here in this letter. And that's why we're calling this study Light and love. Connections can also be seen between 1st and 2nd John. For example, the Greek word that we translate as Antichrist appears in the New Testament only in these two books. 2nd and 3rd John have similarities as well. And probably, I, I haven't completely decided, but probably what we're going to do is we're just going to go one, two, three. We're going to go 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. I don't know. I may take a break in there, but uh, we'll probably just power through all three of those books. But what I want you to know about John is that as he writes this particular letter, he is towards the end of his life. He is writing letters as a father would to his children. And he uses that language throughout this text. He will refer to his hearers, his readers, as dear children, as his little ones. And he's writing it because he feels compelled by the Holy Spirit to proclaim Jesus, to help us to understand what loyalty and love for him looks like. As believers, we need to know how to respond to false ideas about Jesus as we await His return. And so there's a, a thread in this letter that will address false teaching. First John was written to a, a church or to a, a group of churches that were experiencing that crisis. There were many false teachers who were springing up during the early days of church history. And this letter was probably intended for the churches of Asia Minor, uh, they've been addressed a lot in the New Testament, and they're probably one of the seven churches that are mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3. He's going to focus on correct doctrine, particularly as it relates to Christology. Who is Christ? He's going to talk about ethical behavior, love for God, 
and how that love for God will create a love for others in our lives. It will create an atmosphere of, of Christian fellowship. Amen? John also shows, again, as I mentioned, the importance of discerning false teaching. How? By testing it against the Scriptures. What is written? We always go back to what is written in the Word of God. Amen? The opponents that John is addressing, they appear to be guilty of a distorted view of Christ. They have an improper view of sin. They have poor relationships with others. Some have said that these false teachers had denied that Jesus was the Messiah, that He was the Son of God who had come in the flesh. In 1 John 2 and verse 22, he addresses that uh, read it with me if you have your Bibles open still. He writes, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Flip over to chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ <coughs> has come in the flesh and is from God. So he's going to address these liars, these false teachers. They also boasted that they were without sin. We see in chapter 1, verse 8. They boasted that they knew God even though they were disobedient to him. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now that sounds like our world. That sounds like our, particularly our context here regionally. We live in the Bible Belt. And something that I say many times is that it's hard to do evangelism here because everybody's saved. Everyone thinks that they're saved. They may not go to church. They may not have any evidence, any fruit in their lives. But, hey, I went to Sunday school when I was little. My grandma took me to church. Or I give, I send in my tithes one time a year. Or I said a prayer when I was five years old. And they're trusting in that and in nothing else. And so it's, it's nigh impossible to do evangelism around these parts because everybody believes they're in Christ, even though they... Couldn't care one iota about the commands of Christ and about the Word of God. And so that's an important element that we're going to see in this writing as well. These false teachers are boasting that they loved God. They're showing contempt for their Christian brothers and sisters. And we're going to see throughout this study that those two ideas, those two things are incompatible. They are not to be so in the life of a Christian, if you say that you love God, and if His love has been poured out in your heart, as the Scripture says, there will be evidence of that in your life. And one of those evidences is you will have a love for the people of God. And you will have love even for the, for the lost around you. And so those are some of the, the big ideas. But let's, let's look at our outline. Let's talk about the purpose for just a minute. In general, 1 John was written to combat false teachers. That's a thread all throughout his writings. They were denying the incarnation. 
his humanity, his real physical body. They were denying his identity, saying that he was not the Messiah that was foretold. And John is encouraging believers here to hold fast to the truth about who Jesus is. That's why he begins the way that he does in chapter 1, verse 1. Speaking of the things that he has seen with his own eyes. Believer, this is a certainty. You will hear people from other faiths or people from no faith, people who criticize the Word of God and the people of God as saying, faith is blind. And that, oh, you're just, you're just putting a blind faith in what that book says. But nowhere in the New Testament do we see that idea of a blind faith. Paul speaks of a certainty. He speaks of something that can be seen, can be known. And I say all the time, there is evidence enough to support the truth claims of Scripture. If only you will open your eyes and search them out. Amen? And so that is why John is writing this particular letter, proclaiming that Christ is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is who He says He is, and I've seen it with my own eyes. There are other explicit statements about John's purpose, and some of these verses you'll see on the inside flap of your bulletin. Chapter 1, verse 4. And we are writing these things. He's telling you exactly the purpose of this letter. We're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You know you're supposed to have joy as a Christian. Now, does that mean you're going to be happy all the time? No. But I can tell you this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I can fear no evil because God is with me. And He is my sustainer. He is the source of my joy. Even when my circumstances are different even when my brain is telling me something otherwise. There is a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. And John says, we're writing this so that joy may be complete in your life. But let me tell you, let me go ahead and give you a shortcut. You won't find it in any self-help program. You won't find it in any book. You won't find it in anything but in Christ. And in Christ alone. Another key verse is chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my little children... I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Thanks be to God. And then in chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you that to, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. When we talk about certainty, another idea that comes to mind is this idea of an assurance of salvation. And I've heard some folks through the years say, well, if, you're, if you don't have an assurance of, of your salvation, you, maybe you're not saved. I, I don't buy that. Because John says here, I'm writing, you might be struggling with, am I saved? Am I truly in Christ? John says that. I, that's not coming from me. This is what's in the book. So there were believers who were struggling to identify as a child of God. And he says, I'm writing this to you, saints, so that you have a certainty. There is a certainty that is available. You do not have to go throughout your Christian life, your journey of faith, wondering. If you have cast your hope in Christ and in Christ alone, you can be assured today, saint, that you are in Christ. 
And so that is one of his most important purposes in this letter. It also gives evidence of a conflict within the congregation. John's mentioning those who have already left. They're no longer a part of the body. They've gone out. He refers to them as deceivers, as antichrists, as liars, as false prophets all throughout this letter. And so he's going to address that as well. That is a part of his purpose. Let's look a little bit deeper at the writer and the date. Technically, 1 John is anonymous. Again, he does not say, hey, it's me, the Apostle John. He doesn't write his name. He doesn't sign it at the end of the letter. But early Christian writings outside of the canon of Scripture also affirm that 1 John, as well as 2 and 3 John, were written by the Apostle John, the one whom Jesus loved. According to Christian tradition, John enjoyed, uh, towards the end of his life, a long and a fruitful ministry near and around Ephesus, which was the largest uh, city in the Roman province of Asia. And he probably wrote these letters, most believe, um, in the early 90s, uh, approximately 60 years after the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. And so many will nail it down to a date of sometime between the late 80s to the mid-90s AD. That seems to have the strongest support. But going all the way back to the beginning of the church, the early church fathers identified this as being written by the Apostle John. All right, finally, let's look at the themes. Here's the the big picture that we're going to be studying for the next several weeks. And we're going to look at several verses of Scripture very quickly. We're calling this sermon series Light and Love. And those are the two major themes throughout John's letter. Light. For example, he noted that fellowship with God is based on remaining in the light. Let's look at the first few verses of chapter 1. We've already read verse 1 and 2. Let's pick up in verse 3. He says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. We're telling you about Jesus, he says, because the only way you're going to be in fellowship with His people is to know Him personally. And so we want you to have fellowship with us. And he says, And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He goes on to say, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us." When we come to Christ, it has to be with a deep sense of our own sin, our guiltiness. That leads us to repentance. Because you see, without repentance, there is no salvation. Apart from repentance, apart from a turning away from this world, from ourself and from our sins, and casting our gaze on Christ, there is no salvation. And so that is 
one of his main themes throughout this book. Light defines our relationship with others, he tells us. Chapter 2, look at verse 7. He says, Behold, or beloved, I am writing to I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Amen and amen. So we're going to look at that theme of light, but also love. The concept of love appears all throughout John's gospel and John's letters. He's going to talk about our love for God through obedience, chapter 2. We just looked at that chapter, but it says, In this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. And so our love for God through obedience, but also our challenge to avoid loving this world. We just looked at it in chapter 2, verse 15. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And he goes on to say, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So we're going to be told consistently not to love this world. He's going to talk about God's extravagant love for His people. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. What kind of love, extravagant love, the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Amen? And then He's also going to talk about our love for others in greater detail. Chapter 3, verse 11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another concept of love. And love produces peace. Because he says in chapter 4, verse 18, that this love, a perfect love, casts out fear. It creates peace. A peaceful atmosphere, peace with God. Thanks be to God for peace. All right, very quickly, let me just share with you some of the minor themes Light and love being the major themes, but let's look at and identify a few of the minor themes in 1 John. He's going to talk about sin. John identified Satan as the source of sin from the beginning, chapter 3, verse 8. He's going to talk about how believers have been freed from the power of Satan, the power of sin, the bondage of this world through the work of Jesus Christ, through the death and resurrection the victory over sin once and for all has been accomplished. You say, how is that so? I still struggle with sin in my life. We all do. 
but we are no longer slaves as those of us who are in Christ, who have trusted in Christ. Are we still going to battle sinful attitudes and actions? Yes, we will. At times, we will even succumb to sin and temptation. But the life of a Christian is a life of repentance, a life of confession. By remaining in Christ, we can avoid sin and we are enabled to pursue righteousness. Another minor theme is false teaching. He's urging urging his readers to avoid accepting any teaching on its own merit. That sounds like something I say to you guys all the time, doesn't it? Where is it in the book? If I stand up here and I say it and it's just my opinion, that's not preaching. Where is it in the Word of God? He's going to talk about testing the spirits. Not every TV preacher is rightly dividing the Word of God. Not everyone that you hear on the radio, on Christian radio, is rightly proclaiming the truth of the Word of God. How, do we, how are we able to spot false teaching? Know what is written. Be studying to show thyself approved. Growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you're not hiding this Word in your heart, you are, you are tempted to be... Uh, batted around by every strange doctrine out there. And so we must be anchored in the truth of Scripture, and he's going to urge us to do that, to test for the false teachers. And then he's going to talk about abiding with God. Using the image of a vine and its branches, Christ emphasized that as believers, we are only going to be effective so long as we are connected to the vine. And in 1 John, John shares that similar analogy once again in chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you have received from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Verse 28, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Those who remain in Christ are those ones that we spoke of earlier that have assurance. They have a confidence that they are in him, that they are connected to the vine, knowing that they have no need for shame in this life or in the next because of what Christ has done. And John lets us know that false teaching is going to arise. It's going to pop its head up in the local church and in our communities. But the presence of Christ in a believer's life will provide wisdom and discernment against false teaching. We are to abide we are to remain. That is the key to eternal life. And so that leads us to our final minor point, our minor theme, and that is eternal life. John makes it clear 
as the grand narrative of Scripture does. That this world is not all that there is. This world is not our home. I reflected on that quite a bit here recently, particularly this past week with the passing of our brother George. Thank God for his confession of faith. Thank God that as I met with him last Sunday and I went over to the house, I, I just felt urged to have a gospel conversation with him and to make sure that he had cast his cares on Christ. And so we can say with great confidence, thank you, Lord, for his confession of faith and that we know that he is with our Lord because the promise of Scripture is true. This world is not all that there is. It is not our home. We are only passing through. I'm so glad to know that my citizenship, my true citizenship. Now, I thank God, brothers and sisters, that I was born in this country. I do. I've made no secret about it. I've, I've, I've talked about it in the pulpit and in private. I'm not the most patriotic person in the world. I'm really not. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to be. If you are, wave your banners, wave your flags, you go right ahead. But I'm thankful I was born in this country primarily because I'm allowed to freely worship my God. But I'm even more thankful that my true citizenship is not my U.S. citizenship. But I am a citizen of another land, a greater land. That might make some folks mad, especially in a military town, but I'm going to say it again, a greater land, greater than anything we'll ever see in the U.S. of A. Thanks be to God for eternal life. A true prize for any believer is spending eternity with Him, and our brother George has entered into the joys of the Lord. And one day, if you hold fast to Christ, and if you make your calling and election sure, as the Apostle Peter wrote, you will spend eternity with Him. For John, the one who has the Son, has life. And so as we close, we'll close with chapter 5, verse 12. Cast your eyes on that verse with me. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I ask you this morning, do you know life? So I'm living and breathing right now. That may be so, but you may be dead as a doornail. Because the only life that truly matters is life in Christ. Life that assures life in the next age, the next world. If you cast your cares on Him, have you submitted to Him? Have you repented of your sins and trusted in Christ? John makes it clear, apart from Jesus, there is no salvation. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in the next several weeks. Again, as I said, next Sunday we will uh, dive into chapter 1, the first four verses, and we'll walk through those line by line and word by word. If you would like more information about Pineview Baptist Church, we invite you to follow us on social media. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. There you will find information about our service times, upcoming events, directions to our church, and videos of our Sunday services. <laughs>